Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Rick Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Behold, you have driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from the face, thy face shall I be hid. And I will be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that everyone that findeth me shall slay me. Well, that's not true. One would be enough, I would think. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. It was an obvious mark that he put on this man, perhaps on his face, I would think, or his forehead. And in Matthew 6 and 24, it says, no man can serve two masters. You only have a choice between one or the other, folks. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. That's why there's so much hate versus love. It's one or the other. It's becoming more and more obvious, isn't it? It's one way or the other. And tonight I want to preach to you for a few minutes on, I wear the marks of my master. I wear the marks of my master. God bless you. You may be seated. Perhaps one of the most obvious things that we are familiar with is cattle rustling. Cattle ranchers oftentimes would have disputes about whose cows and whose cattle belong to who. So they came up with the idea that they would brand their animals. They would heat up irons that had the brand of that ranch on it. And then when it was so red and hot that it would burn through almost anything, they torched the animal with the brand of their owner. It was the way that they identified that this is my possession. Nobody else has a right to touch it in any manner because it belongs to me. So branding showed possession. Both God and Satan have branded their believers. And I'm going to prove that to you tonight. People also have been branded. Slaves were often branded. Prisoners of war, enemies were branded. Even sinners were branded and marked, starting even with Cain. And I want to give a disclaimer here to, before I really get into what I want to say to you tonight. I know that before Christ, before you came to know the Lord in the way that you know him now, we've made bad choices. We've done things that we shouldn't have done. There are marks on our bodies from the decisions that we made BC. There's nothing you can do about that. That's under the blood. That's part of your past. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what you do from this point forward since Christ came into your life. Somebody say amen. amen. So I want you to see what the enemy would like to do with your life. Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 28 gives this warning. 
You shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor will you print any marks upon you. Why? Because I am the Lord. And what he's really saying is he's not just identifying himself, he's identifying you and saying, I don't want you to do this, and I created your body. Leviticus 21 and 5 says, you will not make any baldness upon your head, neither shall you shave off the corner of your beard, nor will you make any cuttings in their flesh. Deuteronomy 14 and 1 says, you are the children of the Lord your God. He identifies you first and says, and you shall not cut yourselves. Anybody know anything about cutting in our flesh today? There's a lot of cutting going on. There's a lot of branding going on in our society today. I think most people are not even aware of these passages of scripture, but the enemy seeks to brand and identify his own. Holes in our flesh, marks on our body, which ultimately were to belong to God. Let me show you an example in the New Testament of such a person. Another fugitive and a vagabond, just as Cain was. In Mark chapter five, verse two, a man came out of the ship immediately. There met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He had a different master other than the one he was now meeting. This man had his dwelling among the tombs. No man could bind him, no, not with chains, because he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. He had supernatural strength, but it was not from God. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones, a sharp object to tear at his flesh. I want you to know that the thief comes not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He's out to do everything he can to destroy you, your flesh, your spirit, and ultimately your soul. And every mark that he can put on your body, every tear that he can promote, he will do it. Perhaps you have seen some of these marks. Perhaps you have seen tracks on people's arms from needles and drug addictions, knife wounds, facial cuts. Many have even been shot in different parts of their body. All the scars of sin that have been brought against the fleshly tabernacle of God's intended use. And all inspired by Satan. And finally, how can we neglect Satan's final marks that he will put on mankind in Revelations chapter 13 and verse 16? It says he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. 
No man might buy or sell save that he had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. And here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast. It is the number of a man. His number is 600, threescore, and six. His desire is for this final mark to be placed on mankind. And once that mark arrives, notice what Revelations 14 and verse nine will say. The third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture in the cup of his indignation. He will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast, his image, and received the mark of his name. Satan is out to mark everyone he can and brand them as his own. He even attempted to do it with Jesus. There's no denying it. Calvary definitely left marks on my master. We can't deny a crown of thorns prints in both his hands and his feet from spikes, a wounded side where a spear entered in. There's no denying it. He thought he was getting rid of a great prophet. He did everything he could to destroy and have him crucified. He thought, perhaps if I can nail his hands, there'll be no one laying hands on the sick anymore. But he was wrong because Jesus has more disciples than he ever had when he was physically on earth. Perhaps Satan thought, if I can nail his feet, he won't be able to walk into another town. But he was wrong. His disciples are marching everywhere and his truth is marching on. Perhaps he thought if he put a crown on his head and crushed it into his scalp that it would cause him to be discouraged to the point that he would reject everything he had previously said. But he was wrong again. I want you to know that everything he did to Jesus turned out for good for us. That's why it's called Good Friday. Good Friday. Watch this. Isaiah 53 and 4 says, Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, not his. He was bruised for our iniquities, not his. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Boy, did that backfire, didn't it? It says that he has us engraven on the palms of his hands. 
Every time he looks at his hands, he remembers us. And our walls are continually before him. Now here I want to take just a few minutes and talk to you about something that I think is really an important part of this message. And I have left this particular portion of what I'm teaching tonight on the altar here if you'd like to pick up a copy because I'm gonna move through this rapidly but it is very, very important that you get this. God wore flesh. I want that to sink in. God wore flesh to become relational and sacrificial to you. I want that to sink in. Why would God manifest himself in flesh? To become relational and sacrificial to you. You know, if if God has never been manifested in the flesh, one of the arguments that people would bring against him is you never knew what it was like to be a human being. You never knew what we went through on earth. But because he wore flesh, he is now relational to you. Even sacrificial for your sins and for your iniquities. God revealed his name. This is the other thing he did. Besides relational and sacrificial, he finally reveals his name to remit our sins and to give us authoritative power. The power is in the name. The power is in the name. If you don't think so, you've never been overseas. You go overseas and one of the things people are gonna ask you is, well, where are you from? Well, I am an American citizen. Just the fact that you claim to be an American citizen Now, some people might not like Americans, but at least you have identified yourself and they know, don't mess with these people because they tend to protect their own. They tend to protect their own. God protects his own. If you call yourself a Christian, you belong to God. And you need to make that declaration against all of your enemies, every spirit that comes against you. I am a child of the king. I have been washed in the blood and filled with the spirit. That's who I am. I know who I am. And I want you to know who I am. Listen to these verses of scripture concerning his authority, his relational and sacrificial relationship to us. Matthew 1 and 21 reads this way, she shall bring forth a son, you will call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That's sacrificial. Acts 4 and 12, speaking of the name of Jesus said, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Aren't you glad you know that name? Isaiah 45 and 21 says, 
Tell ye and bring them near. Let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who declared it from the old time? Have not I the Lord? There is no God beside me. Not three. A just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Look unto me and be saved, all ends of the earth. I am God and there is none else. And I have sworn by myself, the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return unto me that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. There's just one we bow down to and his name is Jesus. And without controversy, 1 Timothy 3 and 16 says, great is the mystery, the mystery. How many of you like a good mystery? I do. I like a good mystery. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. One person, only one, can fulfill this verse of scripture, and his name is Jesus. Do you know that Satan, Brother Dredge and I talked about this the other day, Satan didn't know who he was messing with. You ever hear that saying, you're messing with the wrong guy? Well, Satan, you messed with the wrong God. You messed with the wrong God. And I don't believe that he knew who he was messing with. I think he thought he was a great prophet, great man of God, but he had no idea about this mystery that we're talking about. Look at this mystery in 1 Corinthians 2 and 7. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. There it is. Even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the foundation unto our glory. This was his plan all along. From the very beginning, God had this planned. And here it says, and none of the princes, who's the prince of the air? None of the princes of this world knew if they'd known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. He didn't know what he was doing. He messed up again. Because of what he did, we have the greatest hope this side of heaven. Now let me give you an illustration. The three temptations of Christ, Satan didn't know. He was asking, if you are the son or the flesh of God, do this or do that. Give me a demonstration. And Jesus said, no demonstrations for you. I will not cast my pearl before swine. No demonstrations. I want you to remember this thought. I, I think this is right, worth writing down. Strength is not always a demonstration of what we do, but rather a restraint from doing. 
How strong are you, Jesus? Prove it. I'll show you how strong I am. I'll give you no demonstration. I'd like to show you a thing or two, but I'm not going to do it. You see, one of the greatest strengths is restraining ourselves from doing wrong. That's a strength. Somebody say amen. Adultery's easy. It's easy. Surely somebody might find you interesting. But restraining yourself and keeping yourself only to your spouse, strength. That's strength. That's commitment. That's faithfulness. It is a strength and a virtue. Somebody said amen. Amen. Satan, you played right into God's hand. You afflicted the lamb and it brought us our healing. You sacrificed the lamb and that ushered in our salvation. Thank you very much for falling into God's plan. The only innocent and perfect sacrifice of the lamb's blood became available to us in the waters of baptism. It had to happen this way. I appreciate the book of Acts. I just like the word act. I think that's what God's waiting for. You want to know about the great commission? It's co on a mission. It's you and God together on a mission. That's the co-mission. God's just looking for cooperation. It's not by might nor by power, but it's by his spirit that things are done. He doesn't need your strength. He doesn't need your wisdom. He doesn't even need your ability. He just needs your willingness to do whatever he asks you to do. He's got the strength and the power. He's waiting for us to act. So if we take this short Bible study that I've just shared with you, it can be condensed into this simple Acts 2.38 message, which I pray is branded in your mind, your heart, spirit, soul, and body. I pray you never, ever get tired of hearing this because some people have never even heard it once. When they heard this, because Peter had his revelation, they were pricked in the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, you need to act. You need to repent and be baptized every one of you. Wow, I mean, you can't say it any clearer than that. Every one of you, not some of you, every one of you. How? In the name, the name of Jesus Christ. That's the only name that can save you. Why? For the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Simple. So simple. And yet Satan wants to keep us confused. But the promise is unto us. It's to our children, to those that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. 
So let me give you, in closing tonight, a few of the brands that God wants to put on the believer's lives. 1 Corinthians 6 and 19 says what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and that you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Before you consider what you're going to do with your body, what you're going to allow into your body, you must understand it's not your body. Because when we come to God, we give our all. We are living sacrifices. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service because we have been bought and paid for. You are chosen and marked by God according to 1 Peter 2 and 9. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past, remember I gave you a disclaimer early in this message, in time past you were not a people, but are now the people of God. You had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. Even the Jews God's elect people will not be allowed to go through a tribulation period without God first marking them. Revelations chapter seven, verse three. He said, hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, all the judgments that are about to come until we have sealed. See that word? sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed and there were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Mark every one of them before I pour out my wrath and seal them against that wrath. Just as he did in Egypt, sealed with the blood on their houses. It talked about seals. Watch this. Ephesians 1 and 13. You are trusted after that you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed. You were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of your inheritance, meaning only the interest, not the principle, until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. Aren't you glad to be marked 
and sealed by God. This is mine. This belongs to me. This is my bride. These are my people. You can't touch what belongs to me because I've marked it. I've marked it. And I conclude with this. The last mark, just as Satan gets his last mark, God will get his as well. Revelations chapter 22 and verse 3. There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, his name shall be in their foreheads. See it? They shall see his face. How many times have we sung, oh, I want to see him look upon his face, but he's looking at your face. And he's putting his mark on your forehead and saying, there will be no more night, there will be no more candles, neither light of the sun, for the Lord giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. I pray that you understand the marks of your master and that you've chosen the right master, the one who is both relational, sacrificial, and authoritative, and his name is Jesus. God bless you. Praise God. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.